Hello, hello, and welcome to Review 2. This week we're Review 2-ing Pop Mart. I miss the late 90s. He's got the sunglasses on, he's shadow boxing. I think confusion is what they're aiming for. Imagine seeing this, not knowing what to expect. Do we agree on that? No, I said half-assed. Why are we disagreeing on every, every I don't one know. of these? This is pop, man. Come on. Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 6 of Review 2. Today we'll be continuing our journey through the story of U2 Live. My name is Tyler, here with me is Johnny. Say hello, Johnny. I can't think of what's the Mexican for hello. Hola. Hola. Good start. We are two bespectacled <laughs> U2 fans. We love talking about that too. And today we will, of course, be discussing the Pop Mart tour. Specifically as our case study for this, uh, we're going to be talking about the uh, the released DVD version of uh, Mexico City. Yeah, but just before we get on to Pop Mart... Oh, some house cleaning. Yeah, a little bit of house cleaning. Um, we made a bit of an error on the Zoo TV episode, which we wanted to just quickly clear up. So um, we had a Review 2 fan called Paul, Paul Alley, and he was telling us about the U2 doppelgangers. And we wanted to just clear up, it wasn't actually Paul who appeared in the Even Better Than The Real Thing video. That was someone called Ronan, who's from Londonderry. Um, but what Paul was, he was sort of like the Willie Williams of the doppelgangers. He organised all the tours and put together what was essentially a U2 tribute act, but a really, really good one, you know, a very high-class one. It wouldn't just be people playing the songs, it would be people mimicking the moves and wearing all the costumes and doing all the changes. Obviously, the 90s is the best place to start doing that, I would say. And he met with Paul McGuinness and he said, yeah, do what you want, just don't just don't call yourselves U2. And Paul uh, mentioned to me in his, in his email that this was quite a, you know, it was quite a new thing to be doing, putting together a tribute band at this particular time. It a lot of people thought it would be a financial failure, that it just wouldn't work. Um, but they got some investment from Topshop and they did a UK tour playing in universities and big venues like that. And they even covered whole eras like um, Under a Blood Red Sky, that kind of thing. So I just wanted to clear up that's what um, that's what Paul's role was in the band. And it's still fascinating to see the lookalikes appearing in the Even Better Than The Real Thing video and play with those ideas of multiple personalities and truth and fiction and what's reality, that kind of thing. And I guess those themes will be continuing today in Potmart, where we're going to be looking at superficiality, what's on the surface, um, what's sold to us, and what the reality is. So, yeah, just wanted to clear that up before we get right back into Potmart. And cheers again, Paul, for sending us the fascinating like, pictures and things like that. I mean, he sent me a picture of his backstage pass from Zoo TV, and so jealous, basically. Yeah, um... Yeah, I, I, we obviously wish that we could have been a part of that. Um, it would have been two years old for yeah, me. I would have been the actong baby. <laughs> so uh, th- there we go. Um, but yeah, let's talk about Pop Mart. Please, let's talk about Pop Mart. Come on, I've been waiting for this. this. is the reason I started to do this show in the first place. Nah, let's finish the show now and not do Pop Mart. No, 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 you can leave if you want. Uh, I'm, I'm more than capable of carrying the show on my own. Yeah, I I don't think that's true. I think you've uh, you've got a, a U2 big head, just like we used on the Zoo TV tour. <laughs> um, so the show we're going to be talking about tonight is the show live from Mexico City, available on VHS and DVD. And much like I did last week, I'd just like to bring—I say last week, a few weeks ago with Zoo TV—I'd uh, just like to 
bring special attention to this DVD package, which is stunning. Apart, apart from apart from the the spine, which doesn't stick because of the the the, the foil kind of of cover. But I was very happy when I first got this and it arrived, and I opened it up, and it's literally a pop up book. I mean, Edge actually pops out of it. It's yeah, so I, was, good. I wasn't going to tell people about that. I wanted people to find that out for themselves, but they know. I I, um, I, I showed a couple of guys at work this <laughs> this DVD, and they were they were amazed by the the pop up Edge that comes out of it. Mm. But it, it is it's a good it's a good little book, um, and a, a great little intro. These this time particularly, uh, I feel like they were really concentrated on making sure that the consumer got something more than just a rock dvd they wanted it to be Mm. um a bit of an event actually to to go out and buy this and making sure that it was a a package that you would treasure in your in your collection and i think we Mm. we've both done that it's it's one of my most played u2 dvds and also even the little bonus features are really cool all the documentaries that you get and the fact that even the menus are set out like a supermarket with a little trolley going around it it's great it's 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 a, just a little bit of extra purchase yeah and um they didn't obviously didn't need to do that but it, it's a fun it's a fun package um and if you haven't got this in your collection then i hear you can buy it relatively cheap now on 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 ebay a friend of mine is going through buying all the live u2 dvds mm. uh just on, on ebay and he's picking them up for you know one or two pounds here here and there um so you know Try try and get it. It I think it was the deluxe edition. Mm. It's two discs. It's got the extra features like a lemon for sale, um, which is quite a funny mockumentary about you two once they'd finished the pot mats or trying to get rid of a forty foot mm. um, robotic lemon. Right, I I love all the little talking heads that are in there with Edge going, why a lemon? Why not a lemon? You know. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's great. It's um, but this is. A pot mart is so hard to explain to anybody that didn't live through it, I suppose. Uh, yeah. And and I know for a long time I mistrusted the 90s U2 stuff. Mm. And then finally when I discovered it about 16, 17, I just thought, this is this is awesome. This is absolutely mm. what I want U2 to do. And it's kind of strange because the personas U2 are playing, the whole band, not just Bono, uh, in, in this era, they are being what everybody everybody who hates you too mm. these days they're being those characters yeah. those obnoxious over the top rock stars that's what this tour was about was about becoming your celebrity persona mm. um and then turning it up to 11 as yeah, well mimicking it and just having fun with with you yourselves and it it carries on from zoo tv where they started doing this whole irony trip Mm. Um, and you can you can see how in 1997, after they've been doing this for six years, it might have been getting a little bit old hat, you know, and, and people might have been gearing up for U2 to go back to basics a little bit. But U2 certainly didn't feel that was it wasn't it wasn't the time for that yet. Mm. They they felt like they started something with Zoo TV and they wanted to continue that. How successful they were with that, we will discuss through the show. Mm. But the Pop Mart tour changed quite a lot from its initial incarnation. Okay, they always had a uh, a forty foot lemon, uh, and rather fittingly, an ice cream van just turns up outside. Mm. Um, take that for pop culture stuff. <laughs> uh, 
biting social commentary there. So there was there were fifty five songs played on the entirety of the Pop Mart tour. There was a lot of things that they started to play. Um, they started mm. to to play. For example, "Do You Feel Loved?" That only appeared in the first six shows. Yep. Um, and and there were other songs. Miami wasn't particularly played that much. Thank the Lord. Um, but they really tried their best to put the new music at the forefront, even if people were clamoring ten years since the Joshua Tree to go. Yeah, let's you know, let's do a bit of a homage to that. Mm. I they, mean, in a similar fashion, it's not as intense as Zoo TV, where it, this is song after song after song from from Actung Baby, and if you don't like that album, you're gonna go home mm. early, you know. But it is there is a heavy amount of of pop on there, considering that they're famously very, you know, nervy about this. And Adam reported just being in buckets of sweat every night. I mean, I know you look at what he's wearing, but we'll get onto that later. Yeah. But it was nervous tension that, that made him feel that way. Considering all the nerves around this album, they still played a lot of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and speaking of t- personas, uh, you obviously can't see, but Tyler's wearing a pair of, of, of sunglasses in the uh, Review 2 studio. And it's I can't actually see what his eyes are doing. It's very disturbing talking to him. Are they going to be a, a constant feature of this week's episode? Or I'm going to t- leave them on at least to the point in the show where Bono oh, no, takes, takes them, them off. off. Yeah. <laughs> wow, it's such a meta podcast. Um, I should have worn my pop t- pop mark t-shirt. I'm not going to, but you we know. could have both worn the same one. Mm, true. It's a bit baggy, isn't it? Well, anyway, um, shall we? Considering you brought up the fact um, of you know sort of how many songs are played, should we quickly go through the stats for this for this gig? Yeah, absolutely. So, you two performed ninety three times on the Pop Mart tour. It says here fifty three unique songs. I might be wrong. I mean, but you said something around that. I said fifty five, but uh, I, I've probably just misremembered that. Well, also snippets and things like that. It, you don't know what counts fully as a unique song. Mm. Four legged tour, North America, Europe, North America, then the rest of the world. Five legs, I've got. <gasps> yeah. Wow. Sorry, mate. Well, <laughs> oh no. Can't argue with history. No. And this night was recorded on the 3rd of December 1997 in Mexican City, as we said, and it was released on the 20... Well, nearly a whole year later. I guess they were still doing the tour and stuff. It was released on the 22nd of November 1998, and the capacity of the gig was 53,483 people. So not the biggest, certainly, that we've seen you two play. No, but just to put the that date in perspective, the, so the tour starts on April the 25th, 1997, mm-hmm. uh, and ends on the 21st of March, 1998. So about an 11-month tour. Uh, by the time this DVD was being recorded, the, the, the VHS at the time, we're on to the third leg, you would expect that you two are very practiced, are very confident in the show that mm. they're, that they're putting together. They know where the show is going, and they know how they want to represent Potmart. However, that's just not true. They never felt like they played Potmart to the best of their ability. They were still changing up songs and and trying to find the best arrangements and the best the best way to use both the stage and the audience, uh, you know, with with each individual song. Um, and I also want to do a little bit of uh, housekeeping as well, because... Sorry. On, obviously, if you're a regular listen, listener to this podcast, you will realise that myself and Johnny, while we like to spout out these facts, we're also not that bothered normally if we get one wrong. But <laughs> if I get one very, very wrong, 
then that really bothers me when I, when I listen back to it. And when I was doing the stats for um, Potmart on the All That You Can't Leave Behind podcast, I, I completely mixed up figures from the album sales and the, the amount the tour made. Um, so we'll probably go back and edit my mistakes out, but right now... I'm not doing that. Well, I might, but uh, the, the, the figure that I was thinking of when I made mistakes about how many the album sold and, you know, and stupid stuff like that. Mm. The figure that they actually made from Potmart was 171 million. There's, you know, it's not exact. It's more than that. It's more than 171 and a half million. But I'm not reading the, the, the exact figure out because no doubt I'll, someone will tell me I'm, I'm wrong. Has someone actually complained to you about this? No, no, it's just... Because you suddenly got a chip on your shoulder. Do you know shoulder. what? When people complain, I actually don't care that much. Mm. Uh, I went, if it's if it's, if it's it's wrong, then we'll, we will just take it out. Yeah. But it's more when I listen back to it and go, no, you sound like an absolute idiot. When I know I've been an idiot, when yeah. I know I've said something stupid, that's when it bothers me. But keep your feedback coming regardless. Um, so... Yeah, here we are on the third leg of the Pop Mart tour. Is it is this show the best representation? Honestly, possibly not. Mm. They the there may have been a time in nineteen ninety eight in those first three months where they played a better show. There may have been a time before. Yeah. But they were still playing around with this and this is all to do with the rush nature of finishing the album getting the album out in time for the tour, mm. uh, which was booked before the album was finished. So it's a very chaotic time backstage, I would imagine. Well, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because this kind of gets us really to, and I'm sorry if we're covering this in sort of bits, but this gets us to the story of, of Pop Mart. So jump in at any point and interrupt me, but they actually started scheduling the tour in the recording studio in early 1996. So that's really, really close to the the wire, considering what actually happened. And McGuinness basically thought, like, let's let's do this exclusively in enormous stadiums slash stadia. Um, let's only do these enormous, you know, kind of these enormous tours, mm. really. So yet again, I mean, I'm taking some of this obviously from Wikipedia, but yet again, we have this enormous financial risk that's taken on by the band, and. Um, you know they want to plow everything back into the tour. They eventually do get um, someone to actually sponsor the tour, and um, it ended up being a concert promoter called Michael Cole or Cone. I can't really say it properly. C O H L. Anyway, Cone, I'd say. Okay, well, for a hundred million dollars, but the problem is, obviously, as they're continuing to do these recording sessions, they've booked all this tour, they've sorted everything out, they're going on not just a, a large tour, but an, an enormous tour, as you can see from the DVD, they're still not finishing the actual album. And you, it's obvious that some an artistic production, it's not like building a dry stone wall. You can't just say, well, there's that many rocks we've got to move, we can figure this out. It wasn't finished. Mm. In some people's opinion, that's a bad thing. In my opinion, and obviously you can go back to the review, I think that gives a lot of freshness to this album, and I think that's actually needed. Time doesn't necessarily equal quality, and we found that out on No Line on the Horizon, Horizon in a big, big way. Yeah. Um, one thing we're not going to... I don't think we're going to spend a great deal of time on today is the Sarajevo gig, which I understand is 
a huge moment in U2's career. Mm. Um, maybe we'll cover that in a, a bonus episode somewhere down the line because it, it seems mm. it seems wrong to miss it out. But we'll just cover it briefly. While U2 were on the Zoo TV tour, mm. uh, a reporter from uh, Sarajevo contacted Bono and said, you know, why aren't people talking about this? Why, you know, what can can you just shed some some light on this? Yeah, it's all very well messing around with the TV station, but why don't you use it for actually something important? Yeah, so like, I I, th- I think there's a story where they they needed to sneak out of the city using you know tunnels and everything. And yeah, they, they, they were risking were, lives. Yeah, they're actually at risk uh, by doing this. And during the Zoo TV tour, Bono said, "We'll come there mm. and we'll and we'll play." And that's when the outside broadcast part of Zoo TV started when they were you know they were carrying around a, a full tv station with them mm. which which the previous show was a part of the outside broadcast show but they um the, one of the really great things i think about it or one of the interesting things at least is they they said in sarajevo they expected they said well we'll bring in some stuff and we'll play a benefit gig there and you'll make and you'll make a lot, a of, lot money. of money and they said well no Bring, we want the full Potmart experience and we want it to be a concert like anywhere else. We're not a charity case here. Bring it. People will buy the tickets. They yeah. will turn up. And yeah, maybe I, we'll come back to that as I well when we talk about... I think they did reduce the, the ticket price. Oh yeah, but what I'm saying is it, it wasn't a, a it wasn't Potmart light. It wasn't Diet Potmart or no. I can't believe it's not Potmart. It was the full experience yeah. and that was really important to them. So Bono was really annoyed that they didn't get to take Zoo TV though. Um, so four years later, the war had ended in, in Sarajevo, but it was still a big risk to take 40, uh, sorry, 70-odd trucks with the full Potmart stage mm. set uh, and all the sound equipment. It was still a big upheaval to get all that stuff there and to do a proper Potmart show in Sarajevo in 1997. But what you got was a very emotional, very emotive gig. A gig that I think taught you two a lot about their own performance, their own songs. They rediscovered songs like Sunday Bloody Sunday, uh, which, as we'll discuss in this show, is mm. a very special, very unique moment, particularly in terms of that song Yeah. Uh, on, a, on a live a live stage. So we're not going to talk about much more about um, the Sarajevo gig, although I would be interested in coming back and covering that properly could possibly do it when we do passengers if and when we do passengers yeah um maybe it'd be good to do a, a, a epic sized passengers pod but i know that um bono's voice gave out a lot actually you know what let's keep this tip i've got yeah, yeah let's keep this for either then or when we talk about sunday bloody sunday in a bit yeah okay so uh let's go on to the the swag do you want to do the swag it's really difficult to do the swag because there's that much swag here. We'll, um, we'll do the swag that they come on stage to, yeah. and then we'll mention costume changes as and when as we go through. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, go on. Do you, who do you want to start with? So, first of all, I want to mention the uh, the airbrushed muscle shirts that all four members of the band were wearing. Uh, they were designed by Walter Van Biendonk, I believe. That may be an incorrect pronunciation. You know what we're like. Um, but they're very cool, and I don't think a month goes by where I don't search for a, a shirt similar. I think for an original, it would cost me thousands. What, you mean one they actually wore? Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, probably. I also noticed for, the, for one of the first times, they have 
a similar thing on top of the, you know, where the joints are. To, you know where your shoulder and the elbows are to like crash te- test dummies yeah or like action figures so yeah. they're playing sort of like plastic doll versions of themselves which as you said before that kind of feeds into this and larry's shirt i'm pretty sure the text from that because it says hitman on it i'm pretty sure that's like action man font because yeah he sort of does look like an action man and obviously hitman's funny because he hits things for a living <laughs> yeah um so that's what larry's wearing i'm not sure what pants larry's wearing but they, they seem to I think he was wearing black pants. People come to review too to get unless he was the wearing camo. Scoop. Unless he was wearing camo, it's the camo top he's wearing. But I think it's we'll hard be to fine. see Larry's legs on on account of the drums. Um, but what an oversight! Should we talk about Adam? Adam uh, comes on stage in a blue camo sort of jumpsuit. Yeah. He, is he wearing his helmet at this point? He is wearing his helmet when he walks through the crowd, and it's a disco ball helmet with attached. Um, face mask, kind of like the the face mask you might wear if you're like a, a breathing pulse. breathing apparatus, yeah, yeah. But it's all it's a, my dad's a dentist and he he used to wear ones pretty identical to that, you know. Um, a mouth mask, isn't it? A mouth and yeah, nose it's mask. to stop your germs, I think. Yeah, I, but really, it must have been so hot. He looks great though. It's <laughs> worth it to look that cool. Does he look great and though? And special mention to Adam's base. The it's it's been called many many things. It's been called the Potmart base. Mm. It's been called the Banana base. It's been called the the Boomerang base. Um, I like to play bass, and that's pretty much the sexiest bass I've ever seen in my life. I don't know if that's the adjective I'd use, but it's pretty pretty cool and funky. Yeah. and fruity. Um, it's a piece of art. I, I, it I, is a piece of art. If someone said, "Look, I will give you this bass." But you can only ever hang it on the wall and look at it. You can never play it. Absolutely, I... absolutely not for me. I, th- I think that's well. Obviously, I'd take it, but I'd be. I'd, I would end up playing it. I, I, I see. It's one of those. It's one of those things where I, I want to look at it. I want to look at every little detail because I, I, I a lot of the shots of it, you, you are quite far away or you know mm. not focused. On it. And and I imagine there's little intricacies on there and I, I do just want to look at it I'd love to play it as well but I, if I could only ever look at it then I would settle for that do, do you know what I thought with Adam here as well I, I I had a weird feeling watching Adam come on stage and him in that camo and in the bright colours and obviously there's a lot of big primary colours in this I miss the late 90s it was such <laughs> a fun time to be alive I know I was young there but and maybe I'm obviously looking at this through rose-tinted glass. Well, not rose-tinted, like no, mellow that's, yellow. That's me. That's you currently, yeah. yeah. Um, but I've it just it made me think how fun that was, and to have to wear massive bright camo pants and not care. You know, I mean, they're too big in my opinion, but it sums up a whole a, a mood of a generation, I think. Yeah. Uh, next, it the next up is uh, your man. Yeah, Mister the Edge. I would really like a Mister the Edge T-shirt. I think I'm gonna have to get one at some point. I love how. Grammatically, I like I like is. Adam's T-shirt, the pop tart. Pop tart, that's no, pretty good as well. Um, and yeah, I do wonder how many different slogans they had. For, you know, that they tried out, and thought, no, nah, it's not quite right. Pop tart is great, obviously, because yeah. a, a pop tart is so pop as well. It's so so completely disposable. You want to keep eating it, you know, despite the fact that it's got zero nutrition. I imagine. Right. Um. Edge has an amazing look. It's one of his coolest looks. Rhinestone cowboy with dun, a muscle dun. shirt. Uh, Mr. The Edge t-shirt. Cool cowboy hat. Mm. Um, Lovely boots. Yeah. Um, almost the best he looks in this gig. Almost. Almost, yeah. yeah. Almost. Um, and next up, can we have a drum roll, please? 
Um, oh, you're going to do it on your knees. I thought you were going to add one in. Well, I've got a drum kit in the other room, but I'm not going to do it now. Um, drum roll. The best entrance for a lead singer ever. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've got... It's all right. I've got this. I've gone. Right. So, Bono wearing a lemon yellow robe. Just imagine that. You can't tell it's lemon yellow, though, for a bit, can you? No, you can't, because it's in, it's in black and white. Mm. But, uh, yeah, it is a lemon yellow kind of satin robe, I would say. I think it's silky, isn't it? Uh, yeah, silky, I think silk yeah. is what boxers wear, because it's, um, it's obviously very smooth. Um, and he's got the hood up, he's got the sunglasses on, he's shadow boxing. <laughs> it, it's brilliant. He's been walked through the crowd with security. The crowd mm. are going crazy. Uh, you've got... Uh, pop music mm. by M playing in the background, and it's just epic. It's building up to something incredible. I might, yeah, I might actually go back on what I said on Zoo TV. I think on balance, I still just, just about prefer the Zoo TV entrance from Bono, <clears throat> from Bono, but um, but this rivals it. It's 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 pretty close, isn't it? Yeah. Do you want to hear an interesting fact? Go on. Okay, well you can decide if it's interesting afterwards, right? So in Enemy. Bono was talking, this is previous to Popmart, as far as I know, or just before. He was talking about them owning, you two owning a fictional casino, right? <laughs> and he basically just starts assigning roles for everyone. So he points at Edge and says, Edge would be the croupier. Larry would be the bouncer. Adam, and I don't know if this is a job in a casino, but he said, Adam's a guy who arrives on a yacht with two babes. Okay. <laughs> Guess what Edge suggests, and he sort of thinks about himself, and he's like, uh... And Edge suggests what Bono, what role he should play in this sort of weird fantasy Las Vegas setting. What role do you think Bono is playing here? The the broke gambler? It has a relevance to the entrance from Popmart. A boxer? A boxer, yes. That's what Edge says. Right, fair enough. Well, he completely becomes that role and it's great to see mm. Bono having fun and when he gets onto the B stage because they walk through the crowd onto the B stage mm. and then to the their instruments. When Bono gets on that B stage and starts shadow boxing yeah. with the crowd, and the crowd are just going crazy, um, Bono's in celebratory mode, and you just know he's having a great time. He's he's at maximum persona here, isn't he? Yeah, this he, is the Bono everybody thinks he is. Yeah, and he knows that, and he's reflecting it right back to them again. It's him doing a bit of judo, as he's as he's mentioned in uh, in other places. Almost, I think, possibly channeling a little bit of Oasis as well. Um, yeah, certainly later on, yeah, yeah. Um, um, but that's the that's the outfits that they're wearing right now. Uh, so <laughs> right now, right this second, I in wish. 2017. I, I absolutely wish. Um, so the venue is the Foro Solo, which translates into the Sun Forum. Hmm. That's a stadium, and you said fifty five thousand people. Well, I said fifty three um, four hundred eighty three thousand. Okay, so the stadium with a lesser stage uh, can hold 65. So that just tells you how big that stage is. Mm. They, they took away 10,000 people, basically. Or they didn't turn up. I don't believe that. Potmart, I'm not saying that no one went to it, but I think Potmart was where they struggled to, to maintain sold-out gigs in some places. I think certain European shows went well. Certain places that are a bit, maybe, a bit more... Um, How's a way to say this without offending people? A bit more kind of arty, like mm. New York and stuff, sold out straight away. But in other venues in America, didn't have that much appeal. 
But apparently the South American audiences were really big on Pop Mart, so maybe maybe that's that balances out. Yeah, stage set as uh, fairly standard as you'd imagine, a forty foot lemon, yeah, a sixty foot cocktail stick and olive, a castrated McDonald's sign, the largest video screen ever made at that time, mm. bright pop art colours and outrageous outfits. Yeah, and there was an interview with Dave Fanning around this time, and and he was asking, "Is this not Spinal Tap?" And Bono said, "I really hope so." You know, <laughs> which I think is a is a great quote. Um, the the size of the screen at that point, and we've got to remember this is 1997. I I mean, the Joshua Tree screen was amazing. Yeah, but we know what big screens look like these days, and we know what HD looks like. This was incredible, and it was ten times all of Zoo's TV screens put together. That's how big it actually got to be. So. Willie Williams wasn't really interested in doing another video-based um, tour unless they went all out and did something incredible. They got a designer um, called Mark Fisher, who'd done... Um, I think he's basically an architect. I'm sorry if I'm getting that wrong, but he'd worked on um, worked with bands like Pink Floyd, Madonna. Later on, he would help design the 360 Claw. And... They really, this was all new technology or, or very, very fledgling technology being put into a particularly new application. So I know that you're keen on LED technology or you used to work um, with LEDs. I used to work in marketing for an LED firm, yes. <laughs> so you're great. an expert on LEDs then? Um, um, I, I know more about LEDs and, and light bulbs than the average bear. Then I care to know, but yeah, feel free, go ahead. <laughs> well, with this LED technology, they thought they might be able to make the largest video screen ever seen on the planet. And then once they realised they could actually do that, the idea of making this... I'm taking a lot of this from YouTube show, by the way. The idea of making this second kind of video-based show actually gained loads of appeal for them. And Willie Williams said it wasn't as much of a kind of cerebral exercise. It wasn't as maybe thought out artistically speaking as something like Zoo TV. It wasn't maybe as contrived, some might say, but images of that scale produce something far more visceral and emotive. Watching Popmart is a very close contender to me for that magic ticket. I've used mine on, on Zoo TV, so we can't really say anything. Yeah, I mean, uh, just going into the LED thing a little bit, <laughs> LEDs only really became properly affordably manuf- manufacturable in the in the early 2000s but they only really started to make their way into products that you would buy in the late 2000s and and that was still very early technology mm. now the led lighting that you can get in in your house and stuff like that is is very good for the um for for the environment very you know will help you save a lot about 80% to 90% on Can you your, imagine if someone has, lighting bill. has just jumped ahead and I know, in the I podcast and think, wow, I'm getting so many money-saving uh, tips here. But, um, yeah, so LED LED lighting has really come a long way. They What they are using in Potmart is the principle of LED lighting, which is a light-emitting diode. So you mm-hmm. have one bulb, one LED that is doing something completely independent of the one next to it. Um, and that is the, that's basically the idea behind the Potmart screen. Although the Potmart screen was made out of uh, much bigger light bulbs, this would not have been a cheap show to run. No, of course not. Um, and it was also risky and not faulty, but difficult to get right. Yeah. And high winds occasionally knocked it a little bit off course. And I mean, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm not very good with Christmas tree lights. 
So, so imagine, imagine that. Um, so there we go. That's the conversation about LED lighting. Uh, <laughs> didn't think I'd ever be talking about that on a review to podcast. Um, one thing I wanted to just say about the stage, um, another another quote from Bono uh, that I thought was really interesting here is: people look at Potmart and think that's ridiculous. It's so big. It's so garish. But there was no point in which you two didn't intend that to be the reaction. Yeah, exactly. It's not like they thought, well, this is subtle. Um, But Bono defends himself by saying, if you can't be fanciful about your art, then you're really betraying the people who've given you your freedom in the first place. As annoying as we can be, at least we're not dull. So kind of a two-pronged attack from Bono there. Um, A, Potmart is anything but boring. And B... If you are, if you have been given all that license, if you've been given all that money and security as the band had by this point, at least they were putting it back into the production and trying something big. That's something that you two have always done. They've always, you know, put a lot of stuff, back, a lot of money back into the band. People need to appreciate that a bit more, though. Yeah, I th- I not think... you two fans. I mean, other like yeah, people. yeah. I, I think they were they were only allowed to do pop mart because they'd earned the money to do Potmart. They'd been successful enough to do Potmart. Mm. This isn't a band on its third album who have had a couple of hit singles. This is a band that have pretty much been on top of the game at various levels mm. for 17 years at this point. Yeah, This is the, the combination of earning that money and earning that reputation. Um, and working with some of the most creative and interesting people. I mean, Willie Williams, Mark Fisher... It's it's a it's an ensemble cast really that yeah. produces Potmart and that's great. So just before we get into the the set and going track by track on Potmart, um, I just wanted to talk about how this album and how this tour are kind of perceived and linked together. And we've talked about this quite a bit on the pop episode, and we've touched upon it already. Um, but it's worth reiterating that. Within a month of the album's deadline, where you literally have to deliver something, otherwise it's not going to get produced, the album still didn't have a title, and the band weren't happy with the way things had actually been put down on record. But because Potmart was around the corner, they had to do it, basically. They had to had to come out. And Bono has basically said that letting McGuinness, although it's kind of a bit mean, really, if he's, if he's going to say letting McGuinness, I think it was probably more of a collective decision than that. Letting him book that tour before they'd finished the album was one of the worst decisions they've ever made. And you two don't really mess up that much. I mean, if we're talking just strictly in terms of, you know, the logistics of putting on shows, being successful, releasing good albums that, even if you don't like them artistically, they work well, they don't mess up that much. And this is something that he says he always tells other newer artists, don't let that happen. So that's hanging around in the background. And I don't know, do you feel that watching this DVD, Tyler? Do you feel like there's an, an uneasiness? No, I think the, I think the beauty of this, this show and, and this tour is that it, it, looks ex- it, it, it makes you feel like it is exactly as it's supposed to be. Um, I, I love pop for the reasons they hate it. Yeah. I think there's a, a certain level of humility on pop. Mm. There's a soul searching on pop. It's some of the most heartfelt, insecure lyrics in the, and it really tells a story about a band searching for the music and not knowing where the, where they're really going. I don't think they knew what, what Pop Mart was going to be 
before that album was finished. And it's funny that they make the biggest steps forward or leaps rather into the unknown well, you think about without the, that security. The thing that they knew about, they knew they were going to have a big screen. They knew that it was going to be, you know, based around the ideas of commercialism. Mm. Um, and they, so they knew how they were going to play the show. They just didn't know what songs they were going to have to play it. So some of the songs that they play, for example, like a wake up dead man, very, very different to the the show that was presented and very strange for Wake Up Dead Man to be presented for the first time in in a show like Potmart. Mm. But I think it, it speaks volumes for the show that it still works. It speaks volumes for the band that they managed to take two pretty much opposing ideas and meld uh, well, you know, mold them together mm. and create something create a spectacular a spectacle that that, that they did once uh, just talking specifically about uh the the, the quieter mo- more personalized moments in the show it as much as much it, uh, you know all that consume that those ideas of consumerism and, and pop culture can seem all consuming and if it seemed all consuming in the 90s god how much how all consuming mm. must it seem now we're talking about a time before mobile phones and amazon yeah and be, and before the internet had really taken off in a huge way it must you know a lot of, i i think we got the internet in our house went about 98 mm. so there was still it, they were performing to a, a crowd that hadn't really been sold on the internet yet actually on that on that note as well on one of the pop dvd uh, dvd extras you get to see the person who's in charge of the of the website and it's it I'm not saying it looks bad, but it looks kind of comical now. It's like when you go back and look at what Google used to look like ages and ages ago. Yeah. And I think they're saying, you know, this is Chris and he looks after the the website and it's got it's like, well, yeah, we've got three pages here, you know, and you can click on that link. Oh, that's not working. You know, it's it's just not that it's not that sophisticated. But of course most people probably had dial up then if if anything. Yeah. yeah. Um so what you two managed to do was take all those ideas of overindulging in consumerism and then show that what it actually leaves you is feeling very empty and very alone and uh, very isolated. And they managed to do that. And I think, you know, imagine if Potmart had been in 2007 rather, rather than in 1997, hmm. how much more of a statement that would be. Uh, but this isn't the only time in the 90s that you two seem to be able to look 20 years into the future. And I'm talking about Adam's, uh, you know, Adam's verse in what song is it? What, Zooming In, Zooming Out? Yeah. <laughs> never in Company, Never Alone. Yeah, yeah. What, what song is that? Your it's Blue Room? Your Blue Room, yeah. 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 Um, so there they go. They've obviously been playing around with that, these ideas for, for two years, but they didn't necessarily have the songs to you know prop up that idea but a mix of both both personal and you know social yeah and i think we'll find as we go through this those contrasts are what make this a great show yeah between it being all persona and all fronts and then these very intimate moments um but yeah anything else to say before we get on back into the well we begin the set list just one thing I yep. have to say boom cha Grand. 
So, Tyler, do you want to do your standard rundown of the set? Will do. Paris Munich, everybody talking about rap music. Please don't sing every single one of these songs. <laughs> okay, so the first the first track and in the intro, uh, which I, I believe was re-recorded by U2, but was original, originally by a group called M, and that's Pop Music. Uh, and that is where the band are walking through the crowd, uh, dressed in their outfit, Bono, full-on boxer, um, the best entrance to a gig ever. I mean, I was watching this, and I've I've seen this so many times, but mm. just imagine being able to do that. Never mind doing it with an album that you're not so sure about. Yeah, You're walking on stage, and 55,000 people are screaming their heads off. They're so happy to see you. And, you. and you, basically, are just having fun with it. You know, you, you're not coming on and go, oh, thank you, you know, oh, it's, you know, thank you very much. That, this is great. Mm. You're coming, coming on stage going, yeah, I've got 55,000 people screaming at me. And you know what? I deserve it because I'm Bono and <laughs> I love it. I love Bono being in your face. I loved the iTunes launch. Yeah. Because it's you too being you too. They should, they shouldn't be so shy and so bashful like they, they can be a lot of the time. They mm. should absolutely be in your face because this is you too. Love them or hate them. If you don't, if you don't like them, don't listen to them. It doesn't, it doesn't affect them. But that's that's my own little thing. I'll read out the set list now. So pop music is the, is the first song. Then Mofo, I Will Follow, Gone, Even Better Than The Real Thing, Last Night On Earth, Until The End Of The World, New Year's Day, Pride, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For, All I Want Is You, Desire, Staring At The Sun, Sunday Bloody Sunday, Bullet The Blue Sky, Please, Where The Streets Have No Name, Lemon, The Perfecto Mix, Discotech, If You Were That Velvet Dress, With Or Without You, Hold me, thrill me, kiss me, kill me. Mysterious ways, one, and wake up, dead man. Okay, there we go. Um, so we've already covered the pop music entrance. Um, oh, I've got more. <laughs> oh god, I've not really. Well, one thing I thought that was interesting about that entrance was um, obviously I love how pumped up Bono is, and I, one of the little details that I love about this is he's he's just walking along, obviously strutting about. And he just walks over and doesn't look down and someone's holding up the microphone for him and he just takes it so nonchalantly like, yeah, it could have been there, maybe maybe it wasn't. <laughs> he just picks it up straight away and yeah, I do love this. And even the choreographing as when for when Bono moves into MoFo is so good. You can tell that, I know we're saying that, that there is kinks to be worked out in this tour, but just the point where Bono manages to duck down for, for a second before he says, you know, looking forward to save my soul. It's so good. And then we've obviously got the big switch from black and white into the full luminous Liechtenstein-esque... Multicolour yeah. pop art, yeah. And it is something that we must have annoyed so many people by playing to them when, we, when we've been watching videos. And just look at this, just look at this, you know, you two de- uh, deniers. The one thing, I, like, because normally I'll show um, a pop mart song to show a particular version mm. of that of of that song um but it, and then again it doesn't necessarily need to be pop mark the one thing that non new 2 fans say to me is that that looks like a pretty good show you know that looks like a pretty good setup mm. and i'm i i'm wondering if i just take this whole u2 grandiose stage set for granted now I think we do because definitely. I'm so used to it. And when I when I show people who aren't aware that you two have done that, they're just like, "Wow, that's that's like nothing I've ever seen. Mm. That's that's incredible." 
it also means I now get disappointed when yeah. bands don't do anything. Yeah. If a band turns up wearing a white t-shirt, it says cheers at the end and just plays the songs. I don't know. I think I view other bands in a different way. Whereas if I go and watch another band, uh, just think of a band I want to go and watch, uh, James, for example. Mm. I would be going to see James to see them play the music, not necessarily see a show. Yeah, so it's a gig rather than a show. Yeah, but when I, I, I certainly have a higher level of expectation when I go and watch you uh, two, and for anybody that listens to our Joshua Tree review, you'll know that they they match they match it every time, or you know, or better it every single time. Hmm. Um, imagine if we'd been to this gig, we didn't know anything about the tour, we hadn't looked at any spoilers. Well, you wouldn't have done those days, would you? Well, unless you dialed your internet up, no. But imagine that. Imagine seeing this, not knowing what to expect. Yeah, um, and the thing is, it doesn't just stop. I mean, obviously, you'd see the set and think, wow, that's pretty big. I, I hope there's a review to listener out there who hasn't actually seen this DVD yet or hasn't seen this show yet. And, you know, on the strength of our review, we'll go back and, you know, and watch it and just just see for yourself, like, it's one thing to see it on a DVD. I'm so jealous of everybody who did get to see that tour. Well, I was going to ask, um, and maybe save this question for later, but I'll ask it now as you brought it up. Are you slightly regretting using your magical um, time travel ticket to watch Under Blood Red Sky rather than this? Yeah, but that's not for the first time. And I would mm. have felt like that no matter what to, what show I went to watch. I wanted uh, The reason I picked Under Blood Red Sky and Live at Red Rocks, was because I think that's the most unique show. Yeah, there were a lot of different elements that came together to make that one show. Yeah. Whereas, as we've said, there were probably quite a lot of gigs that may... I mean, I've, I've seen it on forums, people saying, I went to this show on in um, on the tour, and it was better than Mexico. I don't know why they picked Mexico. But I, obviously, you can't rearrange a film crew. I, I would say, up until at least halfway through the Zoo TV tour, going watching a U2 show... There was a lot, lot left to chance. Obviously, the band would, you know, do the best to make sure every song sounded great, but I, I think still there's a lack of choreography up until partway through the Zoo TV tour. Hmm. Yeah. Although by the point we got to Sydney, they've got it down. I think. Oh yeah, absolutely. And but this is a very choreographed show. Well, I was going to say on this song, Mofo, Bono even and you. Sometimes you notice these things, sometimes you don't. I mean, I'm so familiar with Pop Mart. Um, I've watched it. I th- it might be the show I've watched most. Probably it's a probably a contest between that and uh, Elevation Boston. Um, Bono uncovers his head just at that point where he says "mother," and that's the the point. You know, where he, where he obviously shows that he's taken his hair off. You know, so to speak. <laughs> um, we're not used to seeing Bono with a shaved head. It still looks a bit odd, to be honest. And it's all that vulnerability that's captured there. So we've moved in that first song from extreme front and persona and um, confidence to such vulnerability. Mm. And it's to make that switch straight away. And then as Bono's walking away, he's right back into his persona because he puts his, his thumb in his mouth. And I think that's some form of insult. I don't know if that's true, but it looks like the sort of thing you might do to insult someone. I thought it was similar to, you know, the biting of the lip. Yeah, or the, you know, biting of the thumb. Yeah. But I the bit that gets me most about that is the first the first line, you know, you can reach. I think Bono bends down 
at that point. I just said this. <laughs> no, no, you're on about the mother bit where he texts his... No, but I said at the, the very first line, he du- he ducks down and then pops yeah. up to the microphone. But that, that bit, because the, the, the fans are absolutely at fever pitch. They're, they're, yeah. they're going crazy. Um, and then that's not a big bombastic first line of a song. It's, you know, you can read. It's kind of low down. The first line to Mofo is is um, looking forward to save my save my soul. Is it? Yeah, you're thinking of discotype. Yeah, I am. <laughs> Can we cut most of this? Um, perhaps. <laughs> Shall we move into I Will Follow? Yeah. Um, it's not played on an Explorer. I'm getting that in early because... Any reason for that? The reason for that is because Edge is using a Gibson for Mofo and they move one into the other. You know, so there's no time there for a switch and the thing is i i love i love explorers i have one and it's amazing and it works perfectly for i will follow but what they've done to compensate for that for that shift and it's not a shift that i think most people would notice obviously because most people aren't nerds about guitars like me but i think what they've done there is they've added that phaser or flanger to the the sound so they've moved from the most recent thing they've been doing mofo and then they move right back into the catalogue to one of their very first singles, but they've updated it to the modern day, and it sounds great. I'm not usually a fan of just saying, oh, whack a, an effect on a guitar, and that'll somehow make it new. But I think this really works here. Um, mm. Yeah. Um, just want to say about Mofo, Adam and the Edge work so well together. Oh, yeah. And Bono's stomp dance. I love it. <laughs> I love it. The thing is, there's so many great things in it, but I've seen it so many times that it's difficult to even remember it. I mean... Even Edge's slide right at the start where he's just using one one hand and yeah. holding his other one up in the air. I'd love to have a really high-quality painting of that, yeah. for example. I mean, I'm not going to commission anyone, but if someone wants to send me one for free, please do. I'm sure there's some uh, artists in the Review 2 community. Yeah, but I also think they're not idiots like us who work for free. That, that's probably true. Um, so I Will Follow was a bit strange for me because... It's, I don't know, I, I feel like I've been conditioned to you two starting shows with the new material and pushing that first, so to go into I Will Follow at the second song, that is very telling that they're a bit insecure about the new music that that they have, the fact that they so, yeah. so early on they, they want to let the fans know. No, no, we're going to play our hits as well. This isn't all about, you know, pop. Yeah, it's it's sort of the, the opposite to what they did in Zoo TV. But I still think, I mean, we've got we got Mofo gone, Last Night on Earth. It's sort of half and half at the start. Are you okay, Tyler? Yeah, I just banged my head on my microphone. You're looking for your tea? It's over there. Wow, what a, what a glimpse behind the curtain. Remember in the first season when we were really professional and didn't want any bangs on the microphone? Yeah. What happened to that? Well, what happened was we, we booked in these podcasts to be released at a certain point, uh. but we hadn't finished them off properly, so we're going to spend the rest of our lives going back and doing re-cuts and re versions of them. You know who I blame, don't you? Paul McGuinness? Oh, yeah. <laughs> McGuinness. Bastard. <laughs> Great, I've got so much to edit there. Um, so, <laughs> I found it really interesting how rejuvenated Bono seemed 
going from Mofo into this song. Because even in terms of uh, tone and meaning, I, I Will Follow is a much is a much younger song at heart. Whereas Mofo has uh, the content has a lot of age to it and a lot mm. of regret, I'd, I'd say, coming oh, from oh. Bono. Bono's much mature writing Mofo than than he was for I Will Follow. They are both um, in some way about his mother, though, as well, which is interesting, an interesting link there. Yeah. Um, so I guess that thematically works. Um, so we then move into Gone, one of my absolute favourites from Pop, um, although I think Bono's voice is a little bit up and down in this version. I felt this slowed momentum a little bit. Uh, the the difficulty here is that I kind of agree, but the reason I agree is because I got into Boston a little bit earlier than I got into pop, and I think it it fits really well in the set where it is in Boston, not third song in. I think it could yeah. have been used to build to a moment. Yeah, uh, that's what I mean. Rather than rather than just placed it, and maybe a single would have been better. Well, as we there. as we discussed on the pop episode, Gone would have been a far better single, and maybe they regretted that. Mm. Um, yeah, so I've not really got too much to say about that, apart from um, that Bono's voice is both great and and a bit a bit shaky at some points during this. So even better than the real thing. Um, <laughs> I just looked down at my notes. Um, I made these notes last night watching watching Pop Mart again. And I've written, I'm actually bored by this version. I love Even Better Than The Real Thing. You're not as much of a fan. But it just, it doesn't have the impact that it did for, than it did at Zoo TV where I absolutely loved it. Well, I only have two lines of notes, so that may give you some inkling of where I'm going with this. Mm. But this is actually what I said when they started playing this. Uh, and, and, and I quote, this is exactly what I actually said out loud. Fuck yes. I and and yes, I actually said that. I think this is perhaps the only setting where even better than the real thing works. All right, okay. I yeah, I think I think they they won me over with this version, and that surprised me when I was watching it. That surprises me sitting here now, yeah, because I didn't think this version was anything special. And Bono looks amazing. I agree, but I think he looked amazing during Zoo TV, and I think it it. It makes just about as much sense here, I guess, given the themes of pop. But I, I, I don't know. Maybe I've just got fatigued because we've we've done so much um, review two watching, uh, review two, you two watching recently. Um, but I had nothing interesting to say about this version. I, I just know I really enjoyed it. Mm, okay. I just know I really enjoyed it. Um, Last night on Earth. <sighs> uh, I felt every single note. I mean, I've got yeah. some really good headphones that I, you know, show off. I I used to listen to this stuff, and just the 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 mix was just incredible. This it, is Lily White mix this. I don't know who mixed it. Um, I did look on here earlier, but I couldn't see. Yeah, let's have a little look at the DVD case. See, it doesn't really have any credits on here. I know that the director was David Mallet, so top points for him. Mm. For doing an excellent job, I I just I, I've noticed a few because I've I've gone ahead and 
written my review for a few of the the future episodes, and um, I was quite surprised some of them to see Steve Lillywhite's name pop up as, hmm. you know, uh, he he mixed he got the the mix to sound as good as it does. But I'm not sure if it is is Lillywhite on this one. If if it is, whoever did it did it really well hmm. because with Last Night on Earth, you you get the sense of the crowd really you know feeling feeling the gig and the band playing really well everything sounds perfect the give it away bit which we are always fond of sounded absolutely incredible this was the thing that i used to come back to again and again when i'd um recorded this off channel four when it had been originally broadcast i kept coming back to this and there was that bit where um where bono shouts i wanted to meet god and the cartoon kicks in yeah I love every bit of it. And the thing is, this proves as well that this song didn't really need redoing. I like the other version a hell of a lot, but it works in There's this formulation. There's something to those, those album versions. There's, I like most of the remixes that they did over the next five years, but there is something to those original versions. Yeah. Where I'll ne- I never put pop on and go, oh, I wish it was this version. Pop really works in its own context. Uh, and that bit he said about the screen, I've said the same. The combination of the the artwork on the screen and the music, that's unparalleled. It's so chaotic. You'll see maybe in this song more than more than any other that they played at the Mexico gig, I I think they really nailed the combination of the of the presentation. Mm. It, it looks incredible. I think this is the heart of pop. I think this is what they wanted all the other yeah. songs to do. Yeah, and you you get you get in an international language that commentary on consumerism because you can see the little cartoon guy go all around the shop and his mind is getting kind of fried, and then r- right at the end of it, um, when you have you know the almost sort of dizzying kind of roller coastery effect, mm. I can't really explain it very well, almost like a proto vertigo kind of effect um, when the guitar's getting really heavy, it's it's brilliant. Yeah. You're um, it, it actually reminds me. I was watching um Stephen Fry recently. He's got you know he does those one man shows and they're often often Netflix specials. Did he do a cover of Last Night on Earth? He did not, but he he was talking particularly about uh, consumerism and there was a a woman. I don't know exactly where she was from, but she was from somewhere in in the Middle East, and her son had had gone to America, uh to you know, try and make some money to send some money home. And he got a job as a, as a driver. He was actually driving a limo mm. and he made enough money to get his mother over to America. And on the way back from the airport, he just said to his mother, Oh, we've got to go to the store. I just need to pick up some shopping. Mm. Now it wasn't a particularly big, it wasn't a huge Walmart or anything. It was just a, yeah, a small, uh, supermarket. And he went in with his mother and said, oh, do you want anything? And he's pushing a trolley and, you know, putting things in, as you do. And then after a couple of minutes, he noticed that his mother wasn't by his side. Mm. And so he went back and found his mother. She was on the floor crying. Mm. And she said, how is this possible? You are just a driver, yet you've walked into this store. You're just, you walk around it like you own it. You're just picking things up and putting it in, mm. and and he, um, his mother he thought his mother would be proud of him, and he said, "Why why are you crying?" And she said, "It's because they lied to us. 
they said it was only the richest of people mm. that that would be able to afford to do this and that most people are living in squalor and mm. she couldn't cope with the fact that she'd been lied to all her life that there was this other life mm. out there so when i'm when i was thinking about potma i must have just recently watched that and mm. that was really in my mind that some, there are some people some places in the world were the only reason they live in abject poverty is because they think it's like that everywhere unless you mm. are like the top 1% of people yeah and i i think underneath all this stuff that you two are doing with potmart there is that message though that you know you can change your life and so and maybe this story doesn't really make sense in that context but it's you know something that I, I really felt when I was watching this. Well, I think you've basically got two sides to a coin, though, don't you, really? I mean, because you have the experience that you've described, and then there's what happens if you get too deeply embedded in that culture and you basically over-consume and you get used to just sticking everything in your trolley, not thinking about it, not caring where it comes from, over-consuming. I mean, Pop's all about that kind of, you know, mm. that hyper-sugar rush kind of experience, which is pretty distinctly american i don't want to just you know use too broad a brush stroke there but i know. think i think they're the the world leaders in it aren't they I think we're catching certainly... up very quickly yeah um, um but if you want to hear that story told properly then uh, go to netflix and just find stephen fry live he's a much better orator than i am <laughs> uh and and the story will probably make a little bit more sense because he knows all all the facts but we but what i like about this is we've got this sort of like apocalyptic consumerism being discussed in Potmart and that's that's fascinating and it's a properly sustained idea through the album and it works for the whole conception of the show that you turn up and you're very aware of being a consumer and it's almost like you're picking the songs off shelves you know and um, and Potmart as an idea is a is a good idea I think you know mm. and it's got that Zoo TV irony factor in it where it's kind of bulletproof really where if you say well, isn't that 40-foot lemon unnecessary? Yeah, of course it is, you know. I, I will just say at this point as well that um, we've got a, we've had a couple of people, uh, the latest one I think was on, on Facebook, uh, of uh, p- people saying uh, how strange it is to hear people of different generations talking about you two. Uh, and I, he made particular mention about how we ridiculed the Rattling Home look. Which I think is a pretty cool look, if I'm honest. But it, how you know, if you're talking about your favorite band and they're dressed as um, broke cowboys, then I, I think I think that it's funny to take the mick out of that, particularly when you know, and they have looked ridiculous over the years. But we are now reviewing Potmar with a lot of hindsight because we weren't actually there, and we, you know. So we've only ever had hindsight with Potmart. This would have seemed very different to the people that were there. And we, we know that. But we have to kind of review the the show from where we're at. Yeah. We we can't try and pretend that, you know, oh, in 1997 it was like this and it didn't work. We have to we have to review it how we see it. Mm. Uh, and, yeah, I just I just want... I don't, we're not trying to say that what we think of, uh, think about our reviews is absolute gospel and we love the fact that different songs and different shows and different mm. eras in the band's career mean so much to individual people and a lot of that is where you were in your life yeah and i think that's that is a great thing um 
the guy you're talking about, by the way, is called Jim Jar. And cheers for commenting. Yeah. And I think his point um, was that he he basically comes from a really different place in terms of what he likes in U2. He really likes Love Rescue Me, which I can't stand personally, and doesn't really care as much. Which I can't remember reviewing Love Rescue Me. I can, and we we really did. We really <laughs> found it. All oh, yeah. right, but that's fine. I mean, and that's good. So so cheers, cheers, uh, Tim, um, for for that comment. Um, and yeah, I guess it, it is just where you were, where you're at when you first encounter the band, really. So, I you know I welcome much more of that. You know. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I just want really want to drum home that we're not trying to say that this is the definitive U two opinion, and everybody else's is just as. You know, yeah, but no one's no one's ours. accused us of that. No, yet. no, no one's accused us of that. But I, I think I'm, I'm just hyper aware that we might be isolating people, um, <laughs> because we're from the same generation and 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 largely have the same opinions on a lot of, a lot of the stuff. What do we disagree most about in terms of you two? In terms of a song, is it Fourth of July? Do you honestly like it? Yes, I love it. I think it's brilliant, and it fully deserves its place on on Unforgettable Fire. Well, that that would be a contender. We disagree about October quite a lot. I regret so much that you talked me down from saying that All That You Can't Leave Behind is a flipping album, because it is. And I I really wish I'd have stuck to my guns. Well, but talk, you talk on the record. Da- you talked me down, um, and I regret it. <laughs> so there's a few things that we disagree with, but I think in most senses, we want the same thing from you two. <laughs> Oh, you're probably a little less bothered about a uh, pop 20th anniversary. Oh, box I, set. I, I would like that box set. I, look, I can't wait till you buy that box set. <laughs> There's a theme on this podcast, isn't there, where I buy things and you borrow it. Yeah, well, that's fine. Uh-huh. I, do you know that's inherited in Vinny as well? Because he first bought Zeropa because I wasn't quite sure I wanted to spend the money on it. You, were, I think you're a little bit more underhanded with Vinny. I don't know what you're talking about. Convincing him to buy an album that you wanted and that he didn't really want. Wasn't just that as well. Songs for the at least I At least I want it. <laughs> I convinced him to buy a lot of albums. Right. Um, you might be wondering if we've got to the end of the world. We've got that break, broken off course. Um, until the end of the world. Um, this is a heavy, heavy set, I would argue. I mean, just in terms of the, the, the hardness of the songs. We've got Mofo... Gone, Last Night on Earth, Until the End of the World. This is distortion. This is Edge giving it some, which I which I do do like a lot. And my question is, well, what are you laughing about? I'm laughing at my notes. Okay. Well, my question is, do you think that this kind of powerful heavy bass set is because they were slightly concerned about it? Do you reckon they came out and said, look, we're not doing anything slow. We're not doing anything that can knock anything off course. We're going to give them bangers from the start. Up until now, they've been going one for one. With you know, one from pop, one from somewhere else. Yeah. So a guaranteed hit, a new song. A guaranteed hit, a new song. But what I mean is, the heaviness of it. Yeah. Um, I think that, that that's just the the way they felt. They felt they needed to play this show. Needed to you know be big and bombastic. I one guess th- if you've got that huge thing behind you, you can't come out and play um, "Party Girl" on an acoustic. No, you couldn't. Well, maybe they felt they couldn't, but they did that at Joshua Tree, didn't they? The new one. Mm-hmm. Where they, 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 they didn't interact with the screen for the first five songs. Well, yeah, but... And then bang. But again, the confidence you've got for Sunday, Bloody Sunday, New Year's Day. Yeah. Um, it's great to see the Edge so confident here as well. I don't think we see an Edge this... 
and maybe it's because he's got a hat on and he's behind this armor of this the you know the kind of the rhinestone cowboy but he's striding about he you know he, he looks great he's dueling with bono a lot it's I don't really think we see... He's usually a lot more reserved on stage, both before and after this point. I think this is fitting in tone, but not musically. Uh, th- this felt a bit of a... Like a bit of a push for me. Uh, Bono's voice failing slightly in the first pre-chorus. Uh, overall, I was a bit underwhelmed. Mm. It may be a, a, a matter of... I've just seen it too many times now. It may be yeah. getting to that point with until the end of the world. And I think we've got to put out a general disclaimer here that we've been... You may have not seen it too many times. We've done a lot of U2 watching recently. and Over the past... Yeah. I mean, I've been into U2 now for 14 years, 15 years, and over the last 10 months, it, it's just been non-stop. Even when we have a break for six weeks, we still, we're still prepping shows. Mm. And... I don't know if this has affected me a little bit. I, ca- I can't... I, I don't know if I can listen to any other music. Um, but that's our own fault. Yeah, no one asked us to do this, No, to no, they didn't. Well, you asked me. Well, I think it was pretty mutual as a, as a, as a decision. I've not, I've not... You know who I blame? Bono? Poor f***ing McGuinness. <laughs> <W-ker>. Right. <laughs> I've got so much editing to do. I'm, not, I'm just going to edit out whole swathes of this. If you're just going to continue with your profanity, young Tyler. Right, anyway, um, New Year's Day. A very subtle opening here. Um, Usually we get Bono transitioning into this with an almighty roar or wail. This was a very subtle opening. And overall, I find this song a little bit inessential for this DVD. doesn't really fit in. It's great to keep the momentum up. So wrong. Oh, maybe we're going to find our most... Big disagreement. First of all, Adam Clayton, grab your coat. You've pulled because I, I fell in love with him all over again when when this uh, kicked off. Great start. Uh, sometimes it's good to just let the edge and Adam have the moment, you know, mm-hmm. and just musically let let them take it somewhere else. Uh, as good as Bono is, sometimes he needs to shut that mouth of his and let the band use their instruments the, you know, the way they know how. Um, not discounting Larry Mullen Jr. Dropping that beat. Uh, he's he's faultless most times. Uh, the crowd, again, really, really loud. Whoever did mix this did a really good job. Mike the crowd are excellent crowd. consistently throughout this. This may be U2's best song. <gasps> this may... It's, it's not my personal favourite. Yeah. But objectively speaking, if that can be said mm. this may be the best song and it's one that you never really hear people say oh yeah new year's day is my favorite song but i think this gets the best reaction at most shows i'd, I'd say that the last point you make is the one i can agree with most it gets it gets an excellent reaction and look i there's some versions of this song which i think are absolutely transcendent that are, that are fantastic um slain castle in particular Amazing. Just here, I I think it's a bit too traditional to fit into Pop Mart. And if I'm being honest, it, it makes no sense at all to take it out because you've got to play you've got to play the gig, you know, you can't just say, Oh, I want to have a you know a, a set full of deep cuts, but I would rather have here something else off pop. I'd rather have Do You Feel Loved 
a million times over than this. Um, but it's it's fine. It's fine. Um, the moment where Bono says spotlights off, and I say moment, it takes a while for them to actually go off, but it was 1997. Uh, that was an incredible moment. And a great, that, that visual of the crowd with, you know, the flashing lights. Remember all the flashing lights they used to sell at concerts mm. in, the, in the 90s? I was always very jealous when my brother or my sister would come back from a gig and they, they had something flashy. Mm. Um, and the, the ripple of the crowd with all those flashing lights was just mesmerizing. And mm-hmm. such a great little time capsule of the time uh, of that's what happened at 90s concerts. Yeah, before everyone was just holding a mobile phone. And it's something that's lost. Obviously, you have bands like Coldplay with the wristbands that are trying to recreate, you know, take take that back, create that special moment. And it's not just a load of people holding a, a phone up at you. Mm. Um, but I, ju- I just thought that was just really, really, really good. I'm, I'm beginning to gush about New Year's Day. <laughs> Uh, that'll stop in a minute. <laughs> yeah, pride in the name of love. Um, I'm not gonna badmouth pride like I usually do. Um, great song. The, the crowd carry it. It's a, it is a great song. It, it it is a it's a great song. I'm just bored it, it, of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, the thing is, what the most interesting thing I can say about this is, when you two um appeared on The Simpsons, um, this was the clip that they used, um, and. I find that really weird as someone who knows or is a bit obsessed with you two. Yeah. Because Pride is one of the least Pop Mart songs. If you think of Pop Mart, you do not think of Pride. Yeah. But obviously they had to appeal to the 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 widest amount of people. I disagree. Really? I disagree. They've got a, a large audience there for The Simpsons. Mm. What a great promotion that would have been for one of your new songs if you had the confidence in it. The the thing is, they're not going to sell any albums by appearing on The Simpsons and playing Pride. Mm. But you play a discotheque or Gone or a Last Night on Earth, you it might just prop up your pop your pop sales. Discotheque could work definitely, but I think most of the other stuff doesn't have enough of a hook for it to appear. You got to remember how short of a second or two they appear on it. Yeah. So Pride obviously makes sense, and I mean that is. A fantastic appearance as well. It's really funny. I love The Simpsons, and I just thought about the that the, the you got to give it away bit yeah. in, in a consumerist kind of setting. Mm-hmm. I've never thought about that before. It's just <laughs> just dawned on me. New fruit from old trees. Yep. Uh, the sound from the non-English speaking crowd is is actually pretty insane. They're, they're going crazy for pride. Um, <laughs> Bono's heart and soul is in this. I imagine quite a lot of them do speak English, by well, the way. Well, yeah, but you know, they're, they're it's not, not the native language. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know what GCSEs they did. Um, and I actually did start to question how much do I really hate this song? Which I, I, pride? I, yeah, I just think I have an indifference to it being played. That's the that's the that's the thing. That's the thing because I I do enjoy it. It's mm. not and it's and when we saw them at Twickenham, Twickenham I, I certainly you know sang along as I do every time. Mm. But yeah, they, it, that was a really good version on on here as well. Next up, oh god, double header for us. Still haven't found what I'm looking for. Mm. Do you want to hear my notes for for this one? How many words are in your notes? Well, I'll say them all now. Okay. Is that it? Yep. <laughs> well, I, I had six more words than you. I 
think I put the kettle on, but go on. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> I'm not making you a brood mid-podcast, <laughs> go on. Fairly standard, Crowd made it memorable. That, that's the thing that I keep coming back to. Whenever... I didn't even put a full stop. <laughs> wow, rebel. When I, when The thing is, whenever I am feeling a little bit like I've seen this song a lot of the times, um, I just focus back on the crowd and how much they're into it, and that's great. Mm. I mean, it works really well. Um, well, let's skip over then to All I Want Is You. Um, fantastic vocal performance from Bono. Do we agree on that? No, I said half asked. Why are we disagreeing on every, every one know. of these? That's, that's really interesting. Uh, really half asked. Uh, almost seems like the skirt of Rattling Hum. Still. <laughs> um, amazing moment in a way, but it, it seems like Bono is kind of stopping the party a little bit. Uh, the tribute to Michael Hutchins um, with they uh, they could never tear us apart. Brilliant! That's a really good in an ex- in s uh, in excess song. Well, I've still not taken up your um, charge to actually check out in excess very much, but I, I I will do eventually. So I didn't even get that reference. Um. Yeah, it was it was all right. Um. I think the best version of that song was uh, recorded by uh, us in 2005. <laughs> Not true. Um, then we go on to Desire and kind of a, a a fun but sort of a bit slapdash version of it. I mean, they they basically mess this song up. Uh, uh, my first note on this is, I wish they were more scared of rattling on. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I like Desire being on here. Um, I, I mean, the thing is, I, the I've past thought... four songs I would rather them be doing something different. Potmart does not need a quiet B stage section. What do Larry and Adam do at this point? Like, where are they? Having a brew. Um, I disagree that it doesn't need a quiet B stage section. Um, I don't think you need to play Desire though. They did that on the last tour. They don't need to do it again. Um, wait, they they did do it on. I'm starting to question myself now. They do do it on Zoo TV, don't they? Mm-hmm. Right. Good. Um, so. I think that version of Desire is is nice, but again, not small tongue in cheek on on ZTV. Yeah, there's not really any need for it here. Um, but I think the next song, "Stirring at the Sun," is what justifies having the B stage. This is a great version of "Stirring at the Sun," and I I really like the fact that they do this version. So the B stage justifies its place just for that. Bono on lead guitar right at the start, a very rare thing, and something we'll presumably never get to see again since his accident. Um, but Why are you smiling, Johnny? I'm not. I'm, not, I'm genuinely not smiling. Let the record show. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I think sometimes Bono is on guitar when he doesn't need to be and isn't turned on. But he, he clearly was audible then. Um, I really like the bit halfway through with Edge doing the do 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 do. do. I love doing that um, that version um, when I try and re- replicate the song. Um, but I cannot do the harmonies that Edge does, and it really bugs me. Uh, I loved Bono's riff. Bono's voice also sounds very smooth on this. Like he he doesn't falter once in this song. Mm. I did question if it's overstayed its welcome slightly, if it just goes on a little bit too long. I didn't think so, but um, yeah, I'm not not complaining. But maybe it's just because I've not been sold on this whole quiet B side uh, B stage, stage stuff. Yeah, well, I again another. You know who I blame, don't you? please do not swear again because I'm not doing the editing um, and we try and make this family friendly right so um, the bit that I notice here is an interesting transition um, Bono leaves Edge on the stage to perform 
a version of Sunday Bloody Sunday which comes from the performance at Sarajevo. So I'll talk about the transition before I talk about the Sarajevo thing a little bit more. Bono goes off the stage and then waves to the edge in a very condescending fashion. And he won't shut up. Like He's like, oh, bye there, Edge. See you later. Have fun on your own. I'm Bono. I'm Bono. See you later, Do you, know, do you remember the last thing he says to him? Don't mess it up? No, he says, imagine being called the Edge. <laughs> That's the last <laughs> thing he says. pretty funny, to be honest. Um, so Edge is left on stage on his own, and Edge explains a little bit that they didn't... I don't think it's the time for Bono's jokes. No, not really. Not considering the context of either Sarajevo or the original song. Um, <laughs> so Edge explains that they'd not really played this for a while, or they kind of rediscovered it following Sarajevo. Bono's voice was really messed up at the um, Sarajevo gig. Apparently about four or five songs in, he it, it went down in quality, and not just a little bit, but it took a big shot. And he went backstage and took two big shots of cortisone to try and get him through the rest of the gig. What's cortisone? Um, I imagine it's some sort of adrenaline-y kind of thing or muscle relaxant maybe something like that yeah something that will take you from a state where either your mouth seizing up or Mm. your throat i don't know i'm not a doctor of medicine um (laughs) anyway get that in there didn't you yeah um so anyway this is edge explaining that they they played it that way kind of out of necessity the original time because bono's voice wouldn't be up to it and this might be my favourite arrangement of this song. It's absolutely beautiful. And we've got another guitar nerd thing here because Edge has changed to a Les Paul from his customary Telecaster. So you get rid of all the bite that's in the original that is great and you get a nice warmth and a simplicity to this. And I think it's fantastic. And Edge's voice is brilliant and the Edge is the best. It's a lovely version. Um, obviously very emotional and, and nice to hear old Edge playing. Old? Um, but this is pop, Mark. Come on, special. <laughs> it's a special moment, but wrong time and wrong place. It's the right. I place. do like the moment, but it's pop, Mark. Well, what not, are you doing? Well, not all pop, Mark has to be all singing, all dancing, yes, all consuming. It does. Well, then you'd be getting rid of a song we're going to encounter later, which is very, very um, uh, well, soon actually. Okay, so bullet the blue sky now. This is one of my favourite arrangements of this song, and I have a theory about this. By this point, Rage Against the Machine had already supported U2 in 1997 at least 10 times. Right. Actually, I think just 10 times. And Tom Morello's got a very particular type of playing style, makes Rage Against the Machine really, really distinctive. And I think Edge... Welcome to another episode of Guitar Talk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a lot of that recently. Um, and I th- I think Edge had been taking some cues from Tom Morello and his whole style. I think... And this might be a, a, a bit of a weird connection to make, but it's got that kind of funky, heavy attack, kind of um, ragey sort of style to it. And it's one of the best arrangements of... Possibly the best arrangement of, of Bullet the Blue Sky. It gets sort of aggressively funky which is cool well there's an- another episode of guitar talk can anyone tell Great me if they actually care about this because clearly tyler doesn't and i think it's cool it's even better than the zoo tv version i've got written here but i thought it was an excellent use of the screen and music uh it seems very polished i i noted that it was um it seemed heavier and rockier mm. choreography was really well done yes um, 
Edge weird harmonics uh, for the outside. It's an America bit. Yeah, well, what he's doing ding, there, ding, ding. if back to, uh, you're back with Guitar Talk, yeah. um, he's use, he's playing the strings um, just over the top of the nut on the yeah. guitar. So it makes a really, really interesting sound. And There is an effect on them, though, isn't there? No, it's just, it's just how you do it. I'll try that later on my Gretsch. Mm. I've got a guitar too. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's really really expressive and it, it works really well. And it's great that um, that I was going to say it's great that you noticed that note thing, but that sounded so condescending. But it's good that it's, it's... oh well do- well done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you, you you noticed the guitar as well, didn't you? Well, one of your good job, little buddy. One of your favourite things turns up in here, which is uh, Roy Lichtenstein's um, Wham. Yeah. Um, picture which, I, um, which you've written poems about and been inspired by yeah i uh, we saw it together as well at the tate in london mm. a couple of, that, a yeah. couple of years back and i've just always thought that's one of the uh, most stunning pieces of art and, and i think there's no such thing as good art there's no such thing as bad art art not objectively speaking no, no art has a purpose it's supposed to evoke something in you and make you feel something and if you feel the same thing that the artist intended, then then that's when it, you know, that's that's when art works. If art can mm, can work, I disagree with the intention bit of that. But carry well, on. well, fair enough. But Wham is something that I've looked at, and I have a poster of it on my wall. And the longer I look at it, the more I see, and the just the better it becomes. Mm. Um, and and seeing that in its full size was pretty epic. And also, Roy was involved personally with the animation of that, mm. turning that still image, which obviously has a huge amount of dynamism in it, and uh, it's very true to form. Yeah, it it I I actually didn't when I read that in the U two show book, I thought, wow, I hadn't even thought about the fact that this isn't an animation; it's just in a comic form, you know. Mm. So it does take a lot of extra work to change that image to an actual animation, yeah. and again, it's that little bit of extra effort and thought that's gone into it you know and and actually being able to contact the artist so this is great and i've got an argument here that this is where bono's the action figure for this particular um episode the umbrella for bono would be the accessory for this tour do you agree or not because he uses it in lots of different ways yeah i have um like a gun like a golf club like an umbrella it's always annoyed me that annoyed me that it's inside out only for some of it. Yeah. Um, it's not my favourite prop. But from this show, can you think of another prop? Maybe the boxing gown? If a tyre counts, then yeah. A tyre? Yeah, a tyre. Oh, <laughs> I thought you meant, yeah, here's Bono with his tyre. No, if if um if we're on about, if we can have clothes, then I choose the bubble suit over the umbrella. Mm-hmm. Another Bono's wearing something different here as well, isn't he? He's wearing a red T-shirt and yeah, kind he's of done a flat jacket chain. again. Yeah, he's had a he's he's sort of again like that Mister Policeman character from yeah, yeah. from ZTV, someone who who doesn't get a name apparently. Um, yeah, great version. And then we move in to please. Yeah, um, decent crowd reaction for please. Not the best. Um, but I, I thought this this comes across as some of you two's best theatrical songwriting. Um, Adam seems to be leading the charge, which is somewhat strange for a U2 song. It's quite bass-heavy at the start, isn't yeah. it? Bono 
is clearly loving it and putting his all in. Uh, it's an incredible version of the song, and just a shame that it's kind of been lost now. That's what I thought. Yeah. Bring this back. I think this is what we need to uh, what we need to do. This is a song which I think needs to be rediscovered in the same way that Ultraviolet and um, Unforgettable Fire have had a bit of a resurgence. It's strange that they don't bring it back because there have been times over the years where they, you know, quite realistically could have played that as part of a political statement in uh, in Vertigo. I just realised as well, yeah, how much of a how politically charged it is. Yeah. But it is a it is a more general calling for peace, and they've not shied away from that with either Bullet the Blue Sky or Sunday Bloody Sunday. So I, I, I reckon you could have played this on the Vertigo tour. You could have played this on uh, the Innocence and Experience tour. Play it here. Play and, it now. And you could play it now. Yeah. I think it's very it's come back around. The world is in a similar, maybe a a more unstable state than it was in 1997. Oh yeah, definitely way more. I mean, unstable. I, I don't know. I was six. I can't really. <laughs> You know, yeah, I, fine. And I don't want to trivialize I wasn't reading the, conflict, the Daily so Mail at then. six years old, although it was in the house. Um, <laughs> I d- yeah, I don't want to trivialize the conflicts that were going on then, but I just feel on aggregate the world is more unstable now. Yeah. Um, I've got a um two things to say about that. Then they might be saving it for experience, which would be amazing. Doubt it, but that would be such a good song to bring back because the weariness and the experience built into Please would function so well. So that'd be a good idea. Someone send an email to Bono quick. There must be someone who listens to this podcast who's not that far away from the band and can just have a word in Bono's ear. You know, what about the songs from Pop? (laughs) And yeah, I think they'd be like, no, we don't like that album. Go away. I can't even blame McGuinness because he's not with them anymore. Uh, No, no, you can't. Um, There's a quote from um, the Pop booklet that's stuck inside the cardboard of the of the dvd which i think is really good on please as well and it's the conclusion um it's not a particularly long piece but it's written by danny eccleston for mojo magazine in 2007 and he says above all this is in summing up above all i direct you to the band's performance of please one of pop's underrated tracks and the best example perhaps on all these discs of u2's simple power a song about history blinding love of religious wars, sunging, aching, almost operatic high register by a man with a crew cut and a red t-shirt. No Fly or Mirabal Man or McFisto or any of Bono's later theatrical constructions. Just one man begging for peace. And we could all use a bit of that right now. So I think that's a really good way of summing up. And I like how he's focusing on the simplicity of this. People look at pop and think that it's all 100 miles an hour crazy stuff. This is a a good moment like Sunday Bloody Sunday for me where everything comes down to just the band really but they had a lot of clearly had a lot of confidence in the song in 1997 and it clearly comes across very well it leads into streets and they don't put a, a duff song before streets mm. ever they just no. don't do it they that that build up is almost as epic as streets itself yeah I was going to ask about that transition and build up where would this rank in your streets transitions because for me, this is this is top three material. I I, I love Bono doing that high. Um, I, I don't know if it's soprano, but that high note, and then you can just hear the like that translation or transition. Sorry, into into streets. It's so good. In terms of of just a, a performance, then this may be the best that they've done. Mm. But I'm it, switch. Like, is this better than Boston, for example? The transition. From another song into Streets, because Streets is so epic. Boston is different. Slain 
I see. I, Slain's got the emotional thing, mm. which we'll talk about. Boston is very good, mm. but it, the imagery is very good. But it's a different time. There's too many th- things that, that are different. Yeah, this is absolutely the best they could have done in 1997. Yeah, I think that's fair to say, and it's probably a kind of stupid question, really. I, I think different is is a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, uh, this was a great performance. I think Bono looks very carefree all the way through it, um, but I don't have that much extra to say about it. I, from... I, no, it's just the, the confidence thing, the confidence factor and how how much they thought of this song, and that's why it's a bit of pill to swallow, that it has kind of been forgotten. I don't know if Please has even been performed... Oh, sorry, I was moving on to Street Sam. Oh, right. but... I, don't, I don't know if Please has been performed this century. Like since mm. since the Potmart tour, I I don't know that. I mean, there are websites I'll, I can I'll check that out. But um, it needs bringing back. I think I said on the Potmart, the pop the pop tour. Uh, sorry, the pop podcast, <laughs> the popcast, um, mm. or the all that you can't leave behind podcast. That with pop, it feels like they threw away the baby with the bathwater. It's like okay, instead of saying some of that didn't work. Let's take the bits that did and move on. They no, that didn't work. Start again. And I feel, yeah. I feel that that is what they did. The the pop is the end of the road of something. Yeah, and that's why you have that resurgence when they come back with with elevation and mm. that tour in particular. Although they do carry on a couple. I mean, some songs are too good to not carry on, like like Gone, for example. Yeah. Okay, so what are your thoughts on streets then? There's clearly a lot of energy uh, being shown, and it's almost palpable. You can feel it through the screen. Um, they're clearly enjoying themselves with this track, and sometimes I think they want it to be so good that they don't seem like they're enjoying themselves. Mm. Um, but particularly, particularly on pop, and I think because of the the other side, the other edge of the sword where they're playing songs that they're not sure about, but they still have to try and sell. When they play a street at, at, at gigs like this, then it just lets them relax and chill out for, for four minutes. Yeah. So I I really like that. Adam has a, um, I would say, it's a slightly funked up bass line. He yeah. doesn't play it straight down the line. It, like It's very... Um, the 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 original bass for for where the streets have no name and pardon my impression here is it's very boom 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 but like it's very driving yeah it's it's like you know eight beats a note and then then you you know you move on but this this is really really funked up and um I remember when I was about sixteen really wanting to learn the the more funky and it's the same notes it's just played. Each note is hit less, and you know it's got a more funky rhythm to it. It's sort of similar to the way they did "I Will Follow," in that they've yeah. there's, they've not changed the song completely. They've just added a slight layer of more futuristic pop sound to it, and yeah. I think that's great. Um, Adam and Larry are really the MVPs of this whole show. Mm. I don't feel like I talk about Adam and Larry enough, but their their impact. It's very easy to see them as one section. You yeah. know, there are three sections in U2. There are four members, but there are three sections. You've got the drum and bass as one section. You've got Edge 
doing whatever he does, you know, any variety of guitar or piano, synth, mm. whatever he wants to use. And then you have Bono, who's the lead singer and the front man. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think that is an interesting distinction that Adam doesn't have his own section and Larry doesn't have his own section. They are only as strong as the other one. Yeah. Um, so, you know... It's just I just wanted to highlight how much I really do think of Adam and Larry, and it's this is a really good example. But I was reminded uh, of when I was in high school. It would have been very very similar time to when this DVD came out, and I'm watching the uh, I'm watching Potmar in my living room, and my mum is is in the living room while I'm watching Potmar, and then Bono at the end of Street starts shouting. Mexico now, Mexicola, Mexico now, Mexicola, and I just remember sitting there, absolutely loving it. And my mum, uh, was just, what's he singing about, Mexicola? And, and and I went, yeah, they're in they're in Mexico, and she's like, why is he saying that? And I still can't answer it. Mm. I but it, I love it, and it works. There's no reason why he needs to do that. It's just, I don't, I don't want to say he's doing it just because it's funny. Yeah. Because I don't think Bono would do something like that just because it's funny. Wait, but it seems to be fitting. It's it's very it's totally to correct. When he, when he starts saying Mexicofo. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, it fits, I would just say it fits with the tone of pop, you know. Yeah, I don't know if it's a persona or if it's just Bono thinking this will be cool to say. And I agree, I kind of agree with him. You can't really agree or disagree with Mexico, <laughs> and, and But... I'll I'll always whenever I hear this I'll always remember my mum just say you know just saying why is he saying that mm. and trying as a as a teenager to explain to your mum why the band that you really like was you know was doing something I mean I would have if I was her I would have been saying what why is that big McDonald's I, arch though what's that Olive about I don't know if in a way she was asking me why do you like this band. Yeah, that I, could have been the question that was under it. I I don't know if that's what she if if that's what she was doing. Hmm. Um, but I think in a typical mother way, as long as I make it makes me happy, she'll just you know leave leave me to my own devices. Hmm. But it's just, it's just a really really vivid uh, memory I have of hmm. uh, of a very the very brief interactions me and my mum have ever had about you two. I hmm. don't know if we've ever had another conversation about them. Other than Mum, I'm going watching you two next week. Get her on the podcast. Ah, oh, she'd hate that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that closes out the the um, the well, the first main set, I suppose. A very long set, um, and we move into the perfecto mix of Lemon. A great, a great mix. I I have listened to this mix a lot, just on its own, without it being pop mart. It's it's a fantastic mix. I've got I've, I do have it on vinyl actually. Wow. When when you crank that up, it's pretty impressive. Actually, the a lot of the remixes for even better than the real thing are, are really good in in that way. Also, yeah, I think we mentioned on the on the tortuous B side um, <laughs> episode where we talked about those mixes. Um, I might take those episodes down. So no, no. so so um, this is where um, we obviously get the infamous lemon turning up. And um, the lemon didn't always work perfectly. There were sometimes technical issues with it. Um, for example, when they were in um, Oslo, the lemon malfunctioned. The band couldn't get out, and they had to escape through a small hatch in the back of it. Which that's how they get in it, by the way. Well, yeah, but it obviously is a lot more dignified when it's backstage and no one's watching. 
than didn't they reverse the letter? Yeah, they though? they would have reversed it. But I just even though they weren't in sight, how humiliating is that? The story where apparently they may have been high on some kind of drug. I mean, I think that's the, what you're referring to is documented. I don't think we have to pussyfoot around it too much, but right. Um, but there is definitely a time where Edge is talking about the fact that they were all um, high off their own supply <laughs> of something. <laughs> In the in the lemon, yeah. Um, but I don't think that was the time. But it, it could have been. It definitely malfunctioned more than once. Yeah, I, I think about them being high um, inside a lemon that has just broken down mm. in front of 55,000 people. I think about that so much. I just wish there would had have been a camera inside the lemon just to know what conversation was like in the as they're slowly being reversed in a lemon. Maximum speed of 15 miles per hour. Well, I think they were all giggling about it when it <laughs> when it actually happened. Um, what else could you do? You're in a lemon. Yeah. <laughs> it could only have been worse if they are in a pickle. <laughs> well, I, I still think a banana would have been the best thing, as we said on the episode, <laughs> and it peels down and the band fall out. Not graciously, they just got collapse onto the stage. Are they still on each other's shoulders? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. But that would be quite dangerous for whoever's on the at top. the bottom? I guess Larry, because he looks like he's the, the most physically strong. I don't know, it's a tough call. I mean, they're not really... None of them are, are bigger or smaller than the others, really. Yeah. Bono's at the top of the banana. Yeah, well... Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is a good mix. And, I mean, this might be a section that people w- would think we'd talk about for a long time, but... There's not really much to say about it than, you know, why not a lemon? I always found the video package really disturbing. What, the lemon for sale? No, you've got the big woman with... Oh, the perfecto mix. With the breasts. And they're doing the spirally thing and you can't tell if they're in or out. <laughs> it's a weird video, yes. Yeah, it's... Uh, even at Popmart, I think that's a... They could have done a bit too far. They could have done better VT for that. I, I would definitely agree. Because um, I don't, I, I never felt how I'm supposed to feel about that video. Maybe that's the point. Mm. Um, I mean, I think confusion is what they were aiming for, and I know they talked about the fact that fans were absolutely bemused by this, you know, the lemon, because um, it originally has this um, nice lemon yellow jacket on it for the start of the gig. And presumably you think, oh, well, that's weird, isn't it? Look at that. And then that comes off and it starts to move. I think it would have been genuinely surprising. And I like the fact that lemons still have that place in U2 iconography. That noise of the lemon. Sounds great. Is that put in or is that the no, actual? I think that's, that's loud. I, but I think the mic'd, they're mic'd up, though, inside the lemon because Bono's got to do the um, the singing from the yeah. top of there. Okay. Um, so then... We may as well talk about as we move into discotheque, we talk about the um the upgraded swag that they're all they're all wearing. And there is one person that steals the show. It's Edge as the beautiful white cowboy. White rhinestone cowboy, yeah. Bono is wearing bubbles, only the bubble pants on this show. Well it comes Oh does he does he put the jacket on later? Yes, jacket he does, in a yeah. Bit, yeah. Uh Larry is now the hitman. Wasn't he the hitman? I, before? I don't think he was the hitman before. Okay. Uh, and Adam as Garbage Man Adam, or if you, or the English Bin Man Adam. R- remind me of what Adam's got on. Uh, Adam's now got is he, his this is orange. orange. Oh yeah, this okay. is where the Pop Tart T-shirt comes in, I believe. Okay, uh, but he's wearing his orange jumpsuit 
and helmet. Um, I always think he's got Radio Four on in the in those cans. <laughs> yeah. You know, just just having a nice relax. Yeah. Um, Adam's got cool glasses during this whole yeah. stage, like the, the really bright white ones. This is an incredible scene, Jeff. Yeah, incredibly large pants again from Adam, which are just weird. You wait about four years. <laughs> then we've got some baggy trousers. Baggy trousers. Uh, <laughs> th- this is madness. This is Potmar at its absolute mad best. Mm. Yeah, and it's a great version of Discotech as well. Um, mm. It's raw, it's funky. I love the sound edges getting... Um, it proves that this song is is at its heart. It's great. It's good. What I like is them being pretty sincere and wearing this get-up. Yeah. Edge does his little sign of the cross as he comes down to the stage. Yeah. I always like that effect. Um, yeah, it's completely not... It's straight-faced, <laughs> you know, even though it's completely mad at the same time. And again, a, another good use of the B stage. Yeah. I, I'll, um... And they leave the boom charts in as well, which I'm happy about. Good. Well, they dropped it, remember, when they did the, the new versions. I don't on... think a day goes by where one of my friends doesn't say to me, boom, cha. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, if you wear that velvet dress, love the song, but you just restarted the party. And yeah. now you've brought it to an end again. Um, this, Yeah, this is a, that is a good point. I think this is a great version. Although it's slightly marred by the fact, I would say, that Edge... It, there's a transition from discotheque into this because he's got his kind of effect on and that drags through the rest of the song. Maybe I do like it because then when it when it comes back into that beautiful bit, you know, and the song sort of unfolds, then it does sound great and you've got mm. obviously, it, it's, it's sort of bathed in disco disco ball light. So then with Without You, beautiful version, Bono's voice, failing or is he acting? Um, Failing or acting? Failing's a bit of a strong word. Um, I, I, I don't think he's acting. Right. But uh, who knows, it's Bono, isn't it? And again, the lights off bit, the age before the smartphone, what a sight to behold. Mm. If only we could see that one more time. <laughs> Ugh. Um, hold me, thrill me, kiss me, kill me, surprise me, forgot it was in the set. Yeah, this is one that I had forgotten about previously when I'd been watching Potmart. I was looking forward to it this time. I would have been so excited for this. I yeah. I, I love Batman, as I've said before. Um, this is where he's got the bubble jacket on, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. and they're, they're most cartoony. This is full-on Potmart. Maybe this should have come after Discotech, perhaps. I, I I mean, just the moment that the the sirens go off and you get the Bono bat signal. But the, just to, to let you know how rare, this is a... This is a this, yeah. Like we were talking about last episode, this is a, a rare Pokemon. Mm. This, is a, this is a Charizard kind of... Uh, Pokemon, uh, because this is like them playing Ordinary Love or The Hands That Built America. It's a soundtrack. Or a Electrical Storm kind no, of. No, that wasn't a soundtrack. No, I know it wasn't. I just mean like it's sort of an inter-album release that is great but doesn't get enough airplay. But I think soundtracks are even rarer than inter-album, uh, inter-album yeah. singles. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, so uh, it really does work. It, it's a fantastic version. Mm. Adam is smoking? Well, what a surprise! Surprised it took him that long to light up. <laughs> he's gone. A, he's gone a long while. Maybe he's trying to cut down. Mm, could be. Um, 
Yeah, so a, gr- a great version of that. I, again, this is one I would like them to see resurrect, like them to resurrect, but it's very unlikely. Mm. And then we've got um, a bit of Mysterious Ways. <laughs> um, I enjoyed this. I, I, I mean, if only for the fact that Edge is absolutely glowing white in his in his in his cowboy suit. Is this where he does the shuffle? This is the, the floor. famous yeah, yeah. moment where he does. I mean, he does the shuffle in Zoo TV, which I only realised when we reviewed it. But it cuts away to Bono for needlessly. Um, this is the bit where um, Bono says, "Do something funky, the Edge," and then he does the the shuffle. Yeah. Um, it's a high point of this gig, I would say, even if you're not as keen on the song. Um, I'm still not a fan, uh, and it's really annoying that this is the last big party moment in pop mart but it is a but it is a it's a proper dancey song that's, I, I think it's entirely appropriate i don't think you can have pop mart without mysterious ways well we, we, we disagree on that one as well then um one doesn't seem to make sense to me to, uh, in in you know this close to the end of the show um nothing nothing wrong with playing this song but end the show happy I think we need, yeah. I think we need a name for songs that fans would be really disappointed if they didn't play, but that we don't really find that interesting or essential. I guess it would just be mainly big hits and stuff like that. But, but I don't know. That doesn't the quite usual cover suspects. It. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Well, one is definitely a usual suspect here, and it's yeah. not the best version ever. Um, it's not a bad version, but it's not the best. And it annoys me as well, and we're speaking strictly about the DVD presentation now, because technically one is the last song played. Yeah. Because, and I've never seen them do this since, Wake Up Dead Man, they start playing, and the credits start rolling. Yeah, that's exactly what I've got. I'm like, no, no, you you wait, the show hasn't finished, your job, I mean the credits have one job. Yeah. That is when the show is finished, fade to black, and tell everybody who mixed it. Obviously, I didn't listen, but um, no, why Why do it that way? It's it's a very bad decision. I thought that was a really, really lame way to end a DVD. Yeah, I'd call it crummy, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's not the best way of beautiful, it. Beautiful song, good version. I just, if I'd have put this set list together, it would have been a lot different. Well, what off pop is missing here, apart from maybe... Do you feel love? I would have played all the pop songs. All not the pop not songs. all the pop songs, but all the all the songs that you're gonna play. Mm. Put them first. Yeah, in a similar way to Zoo TV, of like yeah. front loaded. And it. then I would do you with or without. Uh, sorry, you, I will follows and your New Year's Days, Pride in the Name of Love, mm. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Then you you build up to where the streets have no name. So you're still building here. Then yeah. after where the streets have no name, that's when you have a quiet. B stage set, yeah, and then you build it up again and end big. I can see the logic in that definitely. There's there's a lot of songs which I would say take that out and do do something else mm. there. I actually would like if God will send His angels on here. I think that would be great. I that think was that, one of the songs that got played at a few shows, but, but they it didn't just work. didn't work. Yeah. Well, fair enough. I mean, and I definitely don't miss Miami. There were snippets apparently of Playboy Mansion. Um, I also think that would have been great and I think you could have done really interesting visuals with that and I'm not trying to be crude like I'm just saying you could have done artistically interesting things with that song um that would have been that would have been great um apart from that I, I, I mean 
Let me just clarify because people, I've probably surprised a lot of people with my re- my review so far. But let me clarify it. I think Potmar is the best looking show anyone has ever done. I think they had uh, a tremendous setting to create something so memorable and so, uh, in terms of live music, world-changing. They fell short because of their own insecurities. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the biggest lesson that they've learned since because with the Elevation Tour and the Vertigo Tour, uh, even with the 360 Tour, they let the the song the new songs find their own place and they let people figure out okay you know do I like this do I not am I going to enjoy this or not mm. so I think this it, it was a fantastic learning experience which made a U two show a lot better but just by being so insecure it kind of took away from what could have been possibly the best stage show ever put together by a rock band mm. I agree with a lot of that. I think similarly to the album, a lot of that insecurity and tension breeds something pretty cool here. Um, so I think that's, that gives it a real knife edge to certain songs. My problem is that I don't know if Potmark gets any better than Mofo, and that's a difficulty for me. Really? Because I I just don't think it gets... And, and that's an insane high. That would be in my top U2 Live moments. Maybe that please transition. Maybe when they come out of the the, the lemon and do discotheque. My highlights are please and last night on earth. Mm. Is it a show or a gig? <laughs> it's definitely a show. It's a show. I just don't think it's a very strong show. And I'm talking specifically about the one we've just reviewed. Um, the Mexico one. I I think it's a show, and I think it's a middling strength. It could have been the best ever. Yeah, I'd like to know. I mean, I'd like to know if there are people who are saying screaming at the computers or you know screaming on the bus or wherever they're listening to this. Um, no, that's it. At us, <laughs> um, what was the best um, pop gig? Because I'll I'll just go and and try and find that bootleg and, and yeah, listen to that. I think they played in the UK at Roundhay and probably at Wembley. The Pop Heart EP is very very high quality. Yeah, that's that's, that's good. That's from Rotterdam, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there are there are a few bootlegs floating around, so I'm looking forward to picking up some of those. Um, but yeah, th- that's what it is. I I would if I was a rock star, this is exactly what I would want to do. This is a stage that I'd want to play with. It you know it's it. This is it's like I designed this tour. Wow, that's quite big-headed. <laughs> it, it's it's like I designed that stage set. That is as outrageous as I would mm. as as I would like to be if I was a rock star. So, I, I I can only ever watch this and just go, oh my god, I really wish I could be Bono in that lemon robe. So we- you're going to need a twenty about twenty year career to begin with. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm starting late. Better yeah, you better get started soon because otherwise you're going to be older than the band are now. <laughs> Um, well, if I did this, if I started now... Oh, we're not doing maths, are if we? If I started now, and, you know, so 17 years from here, I'm 26 now. Johnny, how old will I be? I'm not, I wasn't paying attention. I, my, as soon as 40, we... I'd be 43. Right, Maybe okay. it's a little old to be starting out. Well, I think rock stars are getting older as a breed, um, but I don't think there'd be an appetite for, for pop then, to be honest. Um, no. 
one thing that I have heard um, talked about is the band putting together all of these stage sets in a big exhibition of some sort so you can literally walk around Pop Mart, walk around Zoo TV. Was big enough? Well, I don't know. I mean, you'd have to... I mean, if you set it up as a permanent exhibit... I mean, I'm talking about proper legacy stuff here. Yeah, but whereas, where could you even do that? Well, one of the fields that Bono owns, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> they've got enough money to do that, and it's the kind of thing that once they've packed up and Edge has put his guitar away, that I think they would consider doing, to be honest. I mean, what else is the use of the claw? You know, it's and it's a proper living legacy. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe I've heard that as just a fan theory or something like that. But I'm, yeah, I can't imagine that. Well, I'm going if if it happens. It'd be amazing to actually see pop up. Clothes. Fine, but we're sitting down <laughs> for all. The, we're just getting pushed around. Brilliant. Uh, <clears throat> so yeah, that was Pop Mart. Um, I think it, I think it's safe to say it's my uh, it's my go to show. Um, Interesting. Even though you don't rate it that highly. Don't watch this this one, but there are other other versions, and oh, okay. it's just always interesting to see what visuals they use for different songs and mm. how they use the choreography. And this is I want to definitely highlight: this is not a failing of the crowd. The crowd are brilliant. Yeah, the crowd are all the way through. Absolutely amazing. It's got nothing to do with that. It's yeah. It's the, only, the only thing I have wrong with this with this show and this set list is they i want them to play some other songs in place of others you know mm. so it, it's a great i'm just not happy with this set list i'm sure there were other set lists where, you know i'd like to see some of the early shows where they played do you feel loved mm. and and things like that but stylistically and and i think sonically this is the the period of you two where i'm i'm happiest the whole I, of the 90s is i mean if we can arbitrarily chop things up into decades this is the one that i regret most not being around for i yeah. really really wanted to go to zoo tv and to pop mart it would have been incredible um yeah but i, I don't think we got too much more to say so i think we're, we're about time to wrap up and uh, zoom off in our lemon yeah uh, next week we'll be we'll be back with uh, the review of elevation live in boston uh, i'm looking forward to that that's one of the first shows i think I interacted with it's definitely the very first show I saw largely responsible for getting me very very much into you 2 and thanks again to Channel 4 for screening those when they did <laughs> um, so other than that yeah we'll be back next week we hope you've enjoyed today's episode but we'll see you later bye Hi there, thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to get in touch, please contact us on facebook.com forward slash review2u or on soundcloud.com forward slash review2 or search for the Review2 podcast on iTunes. You can also email us at review2contact at gmail.com. Please like, comment and subscribe. Thank you. Hi there, thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to get in touch, please contact us on facebook.com forward slash review2u or on soundcloud.com forward slash review2 or search for the Review2 podcast on iTunes. 
You can also email us at review2contact at gmail.com. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Thank you.